Hey, welcome. I'm your host, Gregory Ricks, a financial advisor here to answer your questions and help you win with your money. And I'm your co-host, James Parker. Today's episode, Gregory's going to give you four secrets to beating the average investor. We all want to do better than average when it comes to our investing, so stick around. You'll get some secrets for that. And you also have a complimentary download waiting for you on this topic. Go to gregoryricks.com slash podcast 69. This is episode 69. So it's gregoryricks.com slash podcast 69. And we were talking about Motley Fool article that's on my blog over at gregoryricks.com and four secrets to beating the average investor. According to a 2020 study by financial research company Dalbar, average investors earned about 5% annual growth in their accounts over the last 30 years. That's roughly half the average growth rate of the S&P 500. And I believe what Dalbar is talking about is stock accounts and investors typically make mistakes. To be fair, the performance gap between the average investor and the S&P 500 has it been quite as dramatic in recent years? In the three years ending on December 31st of 2019, for example, the average investor earned 11.5% annually, while the S&P grew by 15.3% annually. Still, the numbers are surprising because you can avoid lagging the S&P 500 index by 4 to 5% if, if you invest in an S&P 500 index fund or exchange traded fund. You have a lot of people out there trading, trying to time the market, pick stocks, and you just are, are going to trail. Most active managers trail the market indexes. And that's one of the reasons. Still, the numbers are surprising because you can once again avoid that by investing directly into index funds or exchange-traded funds. Most of that fractional difference between the fund's performance and the index is actually related to operating expenses and fees. That's good because you can minimize the drag of operating fees by choosing a fund with very low expense ratio. That's why one of the reasons I'm big, big fans of exchange traded funds because you can typically have expense ratios well under a half percent where the kind of the thing on mutual funds is you're typically at an average expense of about one percent could even be more the Dalbar report also number two in this article they the number one if i didn't point it out to you it says uh you take market returns go get you some market returns on some of your money Number two, you stay calm. Dalbar reports that 70% of average investors' underperformance occurred in, guess what, volatile markets, specifically most of the investors who performed the worst sold their securities when the market was in crisis. Had they held on to those investments, they would have ultimately fared better. You know this phrase, what does uh, Buffett say? You need to be greedy when everyone else is fearful and fearful when everyone else is greedy. Yeah, so that's a little bit of what's impacting them there. The takeaway here, it's usually best to stay calm and stay invested. If you hold shares in the S&P 500 index, you own a portfolio consisting of the 500 
you know why why it's called S and P five hundred? The five hundred largest, most successful public companies in the U.S. Most of the companies have a history of managing through turbulent markets. And look, these indexes are managed. It's not the uh, same five hundred companies from a hundred years ago. I, I'm 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 stretching that, but my point is, it is managed, and those are updated and. And companies that aren't doing as well gets kicked out. Generally, it's a good idea to trust that dip in the value of the S&P 500. Number three, selectively do the opposite of the crowd, which goes back to what I let James say, because he, he, he does that so enthusiastically. Do it again. Be greedy when other people are fearful. Be fearful when others are greedy. Yeah. So when everyone else is selling, it's often a good time to buy. You can turn a nice profit buying in a downturn. If you follow some best practices, don't invest in a downturn unless your finances are in order. You should have an emergency fund and a balanced budget. Don't do what the government does. You should, you should manage that. But when you put money in, in a downturn, you don't look, we came out of this, uh, last recession in record time, two months. It lasted the market just roared back short time thereafter and but when we had the Great Recession, that took years for the market to recover. But it did, from its dip, it did move back quite a bit in, in that first 12-month period. Don't expect a quick return. Market recoveries can take months or years. Be prepared for either timeline. Do invest in quality stocks. Once again, I think you should use the indices as well. A quality stock is an established company with low or manageable budget. Well, I, I, I don't know. I think that might be a thing of the past because uh, companies like carrying debt more so nowadays. And uh, another such stocks often pay dividends too. Dividend payers can be good options because they should generate income as you wait for the recovery. But one of the things is when a company's down in, in stock selection, when a, a number of things that we've looked at on stock selection is is when a company pulls back and gets to what we'll consider, and I'll just simplify it, calling a buying position or buying opportunity when we do our analysis. And one of the things I look for then, why is it in that meaning it has pulled back, it's created a sweet spot to buy in, but why did this happen? And that's something you have to ask also in doing so there. And number four, you buy and hold. Dalbar report also concludes that a buy and hold strategy with S&P 500 would have returned about 25,000 more than the average investor's portfolio between 2016 and 2019. Buy and hold investing is the practice of investing in stocks and funds that you intend to keep for years or decades. The goal is to rely on the tendency for stocks to appreciate over long periods of time. Do not panic. And if you're, and that's part of getting a risk number to create, what is your tolerance on market movement? So for that reason, I think a portion, I'm not trying to say how much, and it could be a big portion could be held in stock ETFs, but all the money should not. So I think you should spread because, and, and I've called this the invest 50, 50 philosophy with a tactical approach. I think you should have some money in S and P 500 and other indices ETFs. 
I think you should have some money in bonds, maybe less than what we had last year and the year before that and the year before that, but that can work too. I liked index linked investing where I get the upside of the markets without being exposed to any downside. And I do want market investing, but I want to be tactical to where momentum is shifting. Then we're shifting to money where the momentum is going. And yes, you're not, your overall portfolio is not going to average the S&P 500, but what you're going to have is increased opportunity for success going forward. When there's big pullbacks, you're not going to see that much of a drawdown. Now, when the market's roaring, you could trail it, but it's more like the tortoise and hare. I kind of want to be like the tortoise. I want to be steady Eddie. I want to just keep it going forward. I want to reach the destination. I don't want to just get winded and fall out. That's what I don't want to happen to my account. So maybe this uh, information helps you here a little bit tonight. Tim in New Orleans, you're on Winning It Life with Gregory Ricks. How can we help you, sir? I'm doing just fine. Uh, I have a quick question for you regarding investing for retirement. Uh, Typically, the rule of thumb, I guess, is more like a 60-40 uh, equity to fixed split in as you're approaching retirement. I am wondering if there is ever a scenario uh, that you would suggest a higher investment in equities uh, compared to bonds if, for instance, your net worth or your investments in your 401k and whatever other investments you may have uh, far exceeds your annual needs. Well, if, if that's that that makes sense to you. So, you know, if you can survive on 2% of your current investments, would that then suggest a higher uh, investment in equities compared to fixed? You know, based on 2%, yes. And if you're expecting to hold at that level, I could see maybe having a bit more risk. But when, when we look at risk or versus you gave a 60, 40 and, uh, or Tim, are you age 60? Yes. Okay. So you're kind of going at based on age, subtracting your age from, uh, 100 and, uh, also kind of a, a new methodology on that, that also adjusts where using the age 100 number might make you a little bit more conservative. You might think about subtracting your age from. 115, then that would probably put a little bit more money to risk. Also, just kind of throwing that out there might be a new twist Mm -hmm. for all the listeners out there. But being you're not needing much off the assets, it's like 2% from assets. But then on the other side, and, and that's if you're willing to see more movement in adverse times. And one of the things I, I talked about yesterday is, you know, kind of historically, past couple decades, I think the market's like uh, been down, let's see, how many years? Over the past 30 years, trailing 12-month periods, the market's been down 58 months out of 360 months, or it's down 16% of the time. You know, hey, year ago March, it was pretty ugly. Did that bother you? Not not me, because I knew it was coming back. Okay, well, and and it is, but here's the other part came back really fast, but ultimately we don't know when, but if you're not stressing your assets and it gives you the opportunity to 
make more money over the long haul, but money moves and you're not pulling much off. But one of the things volatility does, it wrecks your portfolio when you're taking income. So with that said, I'm not a fan at all of putting and going very heavy in retirement income years into stocks. You know, when you're taking income, I don't want to be that heavy. And when you you kind of look at the end of June trailing 12 months, market was up a little over 40%. If we look at the past five years, market's up 17%. Last 10 years, up a little over 14%. Is that what we're trying for? Because, you know, there are pullbacks. I'd say, no, that's not what we're trying for. For a portion of your money, yes. But I think you should have diversified asset classes. And when you get down to it, because somebody on the say, well, Gregory, what what if I've got more than I need? I only need to take 2% off my income. What should I do? I'd say you justify being very conservative because if you're taking 2%, what do you need? You don't need much more than 2%. 3 4% gets it done for you. And you can even have inflation adjustments. But we're not trying to put everything to risk, and we're not trying to make that historical average and remember it's a historical average it just because it averaged a little over 14 percent the past 10 years does that mean you gain 14 percent every year absolutely not that's an average and that's misleading to people but i would like some of my money basically when it makes money it's going forward when the money's not making money or going down i don't want to participate in that part and depending one of the things is to consider is tactical asset classes to where you can be heavier in that side, but the portfolio is going to make adjustment when things get ugly. It's going to dial it back for you and shift to where momentum is. And that's something I would think about if I'm wanting to increase exposure, do it tactically versus being increasing stock exposure and risk. And and one thing we can't forget, this this really came back, and it's a great question you called in and asked, and I appreciate that. But we go back to the Great Recession. How long did that take to come back? What, seven, seven years for the market mm-hmm. to get back whole? And it was probably a little longer. But with that said, we get it. It's a lot longer than the six months of last year. It, it could sometime take years to come back. So you're drawing down on a negative environment. Even if it's 2%, you're drawing on a negative value for years in that case. And that can injure you versus did we adjust and dial back and reduce downside risk and then followed momentum to where we're doing good again. So it's a little bit of different thinking there. I just, and I give, I gave you a long answer, but I would not necessarily increase stock risk more so than what your risk tolerance is. Does that help you, Tim? Yeah, helps a lot. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you very much for hanging out with us today, learning four secrets to beating the average investor. I'm going to remind you, you have a complimentary download waiting for you on this topic. Go to gregoryricks.com slash podcast 69. This is episode 69, so it's gregoryricks.com slash podcast 69. Yeah, if you're needing help on something like investment planning, estate planning, you know, the guided planning system that we do is uh, income planning, just start with a 15-minute conversation, 504-832-9200. 
GregoryRicks.com. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be used as a sole basis for financial decisions, nor should it be construed as advice designed to meet the particular needs of an individual situation. Gregory Ricks and Associates is not permitted to offer, and no statement made during this show shall constitute tax or legal advice. Our firm is not affiliated with or endorsed by the U.S. government or any governmental agency. The information and opinions contained herein provided by third parties have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Gregory Ricks and Associates.